We are continuing our series on Jonah, uh, when God's people forget God's pursuit to love our enemies in divided times. And we're getting to the point where Jonah finally gets to the place that God told him to in the first. But I don't know if you've noticed that there's sometimes a difference between what is said, how something is said, and our hearts and why we're saying it. Uh, Over the last couple years in my life, I've kind of been on this journey that uh, includes a lot of uh, more emotional awareness and articulation. Not that I was completely oblivious before, but I've become much more aware of. And so part of that journey is me not only within myself being aware, but now expressing things differently than I was. And I don't know if you've uh, experienced this before, but if you've changed or if you've been with somebody else that's changed, there's a, it takes some time for others around you to get used to transformation. So recently, my Darianne and I have been having these conversations uh, because I would, uh, before, I was very, very um, concerned with making sure that every person that I was interacting with, they heard what I wanted them to say. But in doing so, I sometimes did not fully disclose what was going on in my emotional world because I didn't want to ruffle their feathers too much. So I would, I would go about communicating things and saying things and not, not lying, but not fully putting my heart out there. Not only because I was kind of unaware of what was going on, but because I didn't want the other person to have to deal with whatever that was. And part of my journey has been learning to actually just say what is, be okay with that, and not feel like it's my job to deal with the other person and how they respond. Because that was kind of manipulative. That was what I came to discover as a little bit of codependency. Now, it's good to like be gentle and kind in how you communicate. What I'm not saying is just spit out what you want. But what I'm saying is, is I did it in a way that was saying something to get my specific outcome that I wanted. And so I was saying something, but, but my heart was a little bit numb. Now that my heart's more alive and I'm more aware, I'm saying the same things, but it's coming across a little bit differently. And so Darianne and I and our family are like, Dad's, why is dad so much more direct right now? Well, it's because I'm just being honest more. Like, Judah's like, he's like, why is that? It's because I'm just, I, and now I'm the one I'm like, oh, I'm fine within myself, but now they're experiencing it differently than I want them to. So how do we go about this messiness of interpersonal relationships as you transform? Anybody else experience that? There's a difference between what we say, because I'm saying the same things. It may come across differently that I'm not intending, And my why is still the same. I'm still trying to love and care and support and all that, okay? So we get to this passage where we finally see Jonah speak to the people that he was told to speak to in the beginning. And what we see him say 
So what he says, also what he doesn't say, how he says it, and his heart is starting to be more fully revealed in how he's having this conversation. So we are now at Jonah chapter three. What does Jonah say? What does he not say? And let's dive in. Jonah three, uh, starting in verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. You should snicker when you say the second time. You're like, oh, seriously, here we go again. So the Lord, word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. Let's pray. Father, I pray as we open up your word, would you speak to your people when our hearts only want to go halfway or proclaim only part of your message? May we prepare generations for the fullness of what you have. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jonah's in Nineveh. And the passage begins with a, almost a word-for-word description of what happened in Jonah chapter 1. Saying the same thing. Go call out against this, against this great city. But it gives a little bit more of an explanation of Nineveh. So we see in verse uh, 3... Nineveh was this exceedingly great city. It's three days journey in breadth. Now, historically, the city was about three square miles around. Okay, so it's not a in their mind. It was massive. But the author who does not waste anything, every syllable, every word matters, is very clear to say it's a three days journey. But how far does Jonah go? One. What's going on there? And we see that Nineveh is this exceedingly great city. The actual translation literally means it's a great city to God. Some people want to say that's talking about size. It's just this massive thing. But it's really interesting that that this passage literally says Nineveh is this great city to God. Three miles in breadth. And yet... Jonah goes one day. Now, that could be a lot of different things. But what have we learned about Jonah up to this point? Does he seem like the type of person that goes all in in the ways that he's supposed to? Is he been expressed as, I mean, this is biblical interpretation. You want to base what you have right in front of you up to what you've heard in that point, right? This is, so what do we know about Jonah? Well, he's run away. He's tried to build his own Eden. He seems like he's repented in Jonah chapter 2. He says all the right things, but his heart is far from God. So he never has repented up to this point. So we can only assume 
that he's continuing in that. So he's gone half, not even halfway, right? He's three days and he's only gone one day. And then what does he say? Five words in Hebrew, five. And what are those words? 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So this is, I want to ask this question. When you think of a prophet going to a people and proclaiming something, I want you to have that in your mind, okay? What does this passage say that's in line with prophets? What does it say? That's not rhetorical. Something's going to happen, right? The, uh, when a prophet comes in, he's given a word of the Lord and he's going, he says something is going to happen. Okay? What else? Judgment. Judgment. Yeah. It's oftentimes when people are rebelling against God, he comes and he says judgments. There's go- you will be overthrown. What else is, is said here? Yeah, there's, there's a time frame, right? There's a warning. Like, hey, heads up, this is going to happen. But what's not said that prophets typically say? Repentance, what else? Yeah, it doesn't name God. Like, he doesn't say God at all here. He's like, hey, you guys are about to be overtaken. Okay, is this guy a king that's going to come and overtake us? Like, what's going on here? He never mentions let alone the name of God. He doesn't even say God at all. Okay. Never mentions God. Never mentions repentance. There's nothing about the character of God here. Now, I want to... Jonah and the author of Jonah is very clear on how he uses the term God in this passage. And this is going to be really important. There's two different words for God that's used. There's the word Elohim. So whenever you see in the passage where it says God, verse 5, Nineveh, the people of Nineveh believed God. That's the word Elohim. This is a category. This is what we would say in our English language as a lowercase g God. So it's just a category of these spiritual beings. So they believed in categorically of a God. This is like, think of a celebrity who's going up and winning an Academy Award and they, they say, I want to thank God. My question always is, which one? Like the God of the Bible, like Allah. There, I mean, we live in a pluralistic society. Nineveh was a pluralistic secular place. So it's just this general non-personal entity that they have believed in. It's Elohim. But whenever you see, look at verse, uh, verse 1 and verse 3. You see with Lord, where it's all capitals. Whenever you see that in your Bible, that is the personal name of God. This is the name that God gave to Moses in the burning bush. This is the term Yahweh or Yahweh. It's, this is the God of God. So a lot of times if you read your Bible, you see it say Lord of Lords. What it's saying is Yahweh of Elohim. It's saying he is 
the one over the category of all the other gods. So if there's all these other things that people worship, the Lord, I am the I am, the great I am, Yahweh is above all of those others. And so, and this is what the Bible also says. This is Joel 2.32. It says, call upon the name of who and you will be saved. Not Elohim. It's not call on the name of God. It's called upon the name of Yahweh, the Lord, and you will be saved. When Jonah does not give the full message of who they are repenting to, they miss out and generationally they miss out. So this is why this is important. When we and when we see people talking about God, this is what Jonah's doing. He's just talking about the generic idea of God. He doesn't mention the personal name of Jesus. And if it's only in the name of Yahweh, in the name of Jesus. Now, Jesus claims Yahweh in John chapter eight. He says before Abraham was Yahweh. He actually says it. So if we don't proclaim all of it, then what's going to end up happening is there's only going to be a half message of judgment without the full message of love. Watch with me. Walk with me this for a moment, because Jonah does give a message of judgment. You're going to be overthrown. We'll talk about that in a moment more so. And a message of judgment is usually a message of repenting or turning from something. Because what is repentance? It's to turn. Right? So the Ninevites and everybody is going in a direction. The call to say, hey, judgment is coming is to turn away from that. Right? Go the other direction. Don't stop. I mean, excuse me, don't keep on doing all the evil. He also doesn't even tell them what they're doing wrong. <laughs> I mean, if you read later in chapter three, they're like, they start repenting and they start, even the animals put on sackcloth and ashes, which is like ridiculous. They're like, we're just going to cover all our bases here. And then they still say, perhaps God will hear us. They don't even know. They're like, oh, I hope so, but we're just going to cover all our bases just in case. That's like you saying, I don't know if I'm good enough for God to accept me, but I'm just going to keep on my religious life because I just want to make sure I check all the boxes because I don't know if God's going to love me or not. That's a message of judgment. Here's the thing. We live in a day where the message of judgment is not really liked. Right? We don't want to hear about judging. How many times do we say, oh, don't judge people? We're not, allowed, we're not supposed to judge. Don't judge. Everybody goes to that passage in Corinthians, don't judge others. And then they forget to go to the other passage in Corinthians where it says we're supposed to judge within the family of God to keep us accountable to one another. Like, we just don't like that. Like, let me be me. Let me live my own life. Let me follow my truth. That's the society that we live in. And so... We are more prone. Jonah's very prone. He's like, I'm going to talk judgment. 
Like, I want these people overturned. We are more likely to miss out on the idea of judgment in our society. We're more likely to forget about the idea that sin is really bad. That sin is evil before the eyes of God. Even the smallest, most minuscule, quote, white lies are worthy of punishment and separation from a God who loves. We don't like that. We don't want judgment. We don't like the message of repentance. We like the message of, we like the love part. So Jonah got this part right, mostly. Talk about that. His half that he was missing was not a repentance or a turn from, but he missed the turn to. Because he was calling people that, hey, don't, I mean, stop doing that stuff in essence. But the fullness of God's message is not just turn from your sins, but it's turn from your sins and what? Turn to Yahweh. Turn to who? The God who has expressed himself personally, named himself, and actually given us his character, which is what? Gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love to generations. Over and over again, whenever you hear Yahweh, you should think gracious. You should think merciful. We should think slow to anger. Yes, judging, but slow to anger. Abounding, overflowing, and a ridiculous amount of love for his people. When we only have, this is what God is like, come to him, which is good. We miss the parts that says, hey, there's this bad stuff. Stop doing it. That tends to result in a life that is not growing in holiness. When year over year, decade over decade, my heart, my actions are still the same. When I forget that God is holy, holy, holy. I forget that my life is drawn towards a new way of being. My discipleship, I should be being formed into Jesus. But if we don't have a message that also includes that God is gracious and loving, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, all we're going to do is have people turn like the Ninevites and say, I hope that God doesn't hate me anymore. We need both. Jonah only went halfway, not even halfway, but his message is also a halfway message. He doesn't proclaim all that's necessary for the Ninevites. And what's the result of the Ninevites halfway message? What happens? So the Ninevites, they repent. Jesus affirms in Matthew 12 that they're repentant here. It's it, these people that hear this message change. But what happens within a generation or two? In 2 Kings 14, we see Jonah introduced the first time. This is where we see Jeroboam II expanding the borders. Good things are happening within Israel, even though Jeroboam's a terrible king. But that's another story. They repent. Well, if you flip the page, one page in the Bible, you go to 2 Kings 15, what do we find out that happens within a generation or two? 
the Assyrian army comes and overtakes Israel. The same people that were just repentant, either them as they're older or their kids or maybe their grandkids, depending on how you date this, they actually don't continue in this message. They don't continue in fruits of repentance. A halfway message leads to generations not continuing in the faith. When we, God's people, don't equip not only ourselves, but the next generation of disciples with the fullness of the gospel truth, with both God is holy and we are deserving of punishment and God is loving and he graciously took on the punishment. If we're not doing a holistic approach to all of the scriptures, there will come a day, it may not be in our lifetime, but a generation or two or three will walk away like the Ninevites do. What's at stake in the gospel is not just us in our lives. We have to think generationally. We have to think, how is this going to affect my great grandkids? I become, I have become more convinced of this than ever. So much of our, uh, of our thought process is our lives. Okay, how does this all work in our, and that's good. That's, don't get me wrong. We, we have to include our lives. But how often do we think, what am I doing right now and how my family life is structured, how our church life is structured, how we're living as the church in Western America, Western culture is what I mean by that. What impact is that going to have on my grandkids? What are they going to assume? What am I not thinking that they need? What have we assumed that it's obvious, but it's not going to be obvious two generations later if we don't instill it right now? The people of God, we've had 2,000 years, generation after generation, with a mix of faithfulness and unfaithfulness, to say the least. Some more unfaithful than others. My heart for, just not just Soma Fred away, but for the church at large, like, can we be a people that show what the world could be like, that live out kingdom principles so our great grandkids will look at that and say, man, that's good. I want that. I want to be part of that. I like that. Can we, can we do what they did? Jonah didn't do that. Jonah only gave a partial message. And the result is they were overthrown. May that not be true of us. And here, so Jonah, halfway message on a halfway journey, but this also reveals Jonah's what I'll call halfway heart. Because what does Jonah want to happen? This is a funny part of this word. The word overthrown. It's the, word, it's the Hebrew word hapach. I want you to say it with me because I need you to clear your throat. Okay, ready? Say hapach. Yeah, you feel that guttural stuff? Yeah, get clear out your throat, okay? So literally, the word just means 
turned over. Okay? So, are there ways in English that we use the term turn over positively? An apple turnover? I mean, if you like food. I mean, my mind always goes to food first. Just automatically. Just like empanada dessert. Done. Sure. Okay? We, you turn over a new leaf. Right? Like, what, is it, what does it mean when I say turn over a new leaf? You change. In Hebrew, this exact word either means overthrown. Because it does mean that. But it also means transformed. Exact same thing. So the only way a Hebrew scholar is supposed to figure out how to determine which word it is, is the context. So Sodom and Gomorrah, this is the word they are overthrown. Okay? Sodom and Gomorrah are hapakt. You know what I'm saying? But also Saul is hapakt. He's transformed. He's not overthrown yet. It's also Pharaoh. Pharaoh was hapakt, transformed, before he was hapakt, overthrown. See what's happening? Okay? <laughs> Feeling it? Good. So, what do you think Jonah meant by the word? He probably meant overthrown. I'm coming to you people and I want you to be judged. But what does God do? He transforms them. I mean, this problem, and we'll find out in a couple weeks, this drove him nuts. But Jonah likely was preaching a message that was bringing judgment on a people. And yet God in his amazing ways still was faithful to accomplish what he wanted when they hapaked, but they didn't do it in the way that Jonah wanted them to. Jonah gave a, a faulty halfway message and God's ways were still accomplished. He had a heart that did not desire their good. And yet God's desire for them still showed up. There's this amazing thing that even when our hearts are not in it for love of enemy, God is still gracious and brings sa uh, salvation to a halfway message from even a halfway heart. So for us, where are our hearts not fully in it for the other person? How do we, like Jonah, have a desire that's not in line with God's desire when people, for people to hear the gospel. Sometimes it's just like Jonah. There's a desire to see people punished. There's a, a, maybe a group of people that you can think of that you regularly may interact with or you see or you know within society and you just want them to hear the message of judgment so that they can feel the heat of it, right? You want them to be punished. You don't want them to be transformed. You want them to be overthrown. 
when I, when I think of this, because, the, man, the, the ethic of Jesus is ridiculous. If somebody is in front of you that hates you or somebody that you hate or somebody that wants you overthrown or you want overthrown or somebody that's with you that you love, what's Jesus' ethic? It's all the same. Love. Nuts. Doesn't make any sense. Absolutely ridiculous. In, the, in our way. Because I'm supposed to love my neighbor. Supposed to love my brother and sister. And I'm supposed to love my enemy. So when we desire to punish. What we're wanting. Is we're not loving them to God. We're only giving them a message of punishment. A message of judgment. We're only wanting them overthrown. We're not wanting them transformed. What would it look like if God's people set the example of the people that we're supposed to hate, we actually sought their highest good instead? We actually sought to see them transformed with the gospel. We actually love. When I think of giving a message of like punishment, um, I, I, this filter has kind of been given. I don't know where I got it from, but whether it's in church discipline or if I have a, a word of correction to somebody or if um, or if I'm like, hey, you like, hey, repent. I'm always wanting to think through like, OK, am I excited to give this correction? Like, am I like really wanting like, oh, man, I can't wait to have this conversation to put them in their place. That's an indication that my heart is probably not one of love. That's me, at least. Or am I like pain with the idea of seeing somebody wandering from the right way of following Jesus? And I'm pained. I'm anguished. I'm almost having to correct through tears because I want their best more than I want them to be punished. Like, ah, and I've, I've experienced this recently. There's been some situations in life that have annoyed me. And I'm like, I, I just want to. Mmm, right? Can't say it. Mmm, like, that's where I want to go. Stop it. That's, mmm. Like, and I can't. I have to remove myself from situations sometimes, but I can't go there. Why? Now, does that mean I stop? No, but what it means is that I have to check my own heart and how we give this. Am I wanting transformation or am I just wanting people to be judged? To experience it? Or do I want to see them actually return to a God that is love? Sometimes our hearts in proclaiming the gospel is we want just people to hear be punished and experience that punishment. Sometimes we, like Jonah, don't go, do a full message because we have a desire to not be offensive. This is how this has looked like. You've developed a friendship with, uh, over a long period of time, potentially. You, you have a good relationship. They don't follow Jesus. You do. And you don't want to give them the fullness of the gospel because if you give them the fullness, you're afraid that you'll lose that friendship. Where you're like, 
if I actually say that this person's a sinner and that they're in need of grace, they're going to look at me like, no, this is my truth, that's your truth, and they're going to walk away from me. And now you're left and you're hurt. If you haven't experienced that yet in mission, what do we need in this? Yes, the gospel is offensive. Scriptures say it because it says that people within themselves are not sufficient. Within themselves, they need somebody else to save them. They need something or someone else to satisfy the deepest longings of their heart. And the gospel is in our culture, you think you can do it by yourself. My friend, I'm sorry, it's not going to work out for you. And so we shy away from the offense of the gospel, thinking that by sharing the offense of the gospel, that must mean that I'm being offensive. When in reality, I'm just sharing the news. Does this give us a right because the gospel is offensive that I get to be offensive? No, (laughs) that's not what that does. It's like, well, the gospel says you're a sinner. I'm just going to come and lay down and you're a sinner. And you're it's like, no, dude, like that's not, just, come on. You're quick to anger, not in line with Jesus there, right? We don't want to offend. So we only give the halfway of the message. We don't, we want to appease. We want to maintain our friendships. We don't want to be hurt by being left. So we only do it part of the way. We don't expose All of it. And our hearts are being revealed that we are only thinking about us because we are afraid rather than what's good for them. It could be that our message, rather than one of the fullness of it, but we just do it out of obligation. I mean, I kind of feel that this is Jonah. I feel like Jonah does not want to be where he's at. He's like, that's a long trip. Now, three days, I mean, three square mile, like you could do that in a day. Like, why is it a three days journey? The author, in my opinion, is like, if you went to every gate and every nook and cranny and you did everything that God wanted you to do, it would probably be three days. But he only does one. So it's kind of like uh, you ask your kid to do something and then they do it but they don't really do it, <laughs> right? Now, like you, you ask them, hey, take out your garbage. But you didn't put a bag in at the end. It's like, well, I did what you said, but you didn't do what I meant. It's like, don't get all nitpicky on me here, okay? Like, right? You, none of us have ever done that before. But you said this, not, you didn't say that, so I'm not gonna do what you say. I'm just gonna... You didn't, I'm only going to do what you say, even though I know what you meant more than what you meant. It's like obligation. It's not desire. It's not love. It's like, okay, I'm going to go as close to the bar as enough as I can possibly get. And as long as I'm right on top of that bar, that's good. That's a heart of obligation, not a heart of love. That's a heart of, okay, I have to do this. Not I get to do this or I want to do this. I mean, I, that feels like Jonah to me. It's like, fine. 
I got vomited out of the whale. Now I got to go to Nineveh. Right? I got saved and now I got to go do this. How much is that true of us? It's like, I mean, it's, it's like that passage. Did, I mean, this is a serpent, right? Did God really say? It's like, well, you know what he meant, right? You know the heart. And we, like, okay, I'm going to go find a little mission. And I'll talk about Jesus. Fine. You go and do it. See, God didn't work. They didn't, nothing happened. And God's looking at you like, well, I wonder why. Right? Like, God, I love my wife. I'll lay down on my life for her. I'll do more because Jesus died, so I'll die for her. And you're like, well, she's not responding. I wonder why. You're not doing anything out of love here. You're doing it out of obligation. You're doing it because you're supposed to. And when we do things that we're supposed to, that's not going to result in multiple generations of faithfulness. Our kids are going to look at us and say, "Mm, if that's what produced in your life, I don't want anything to do with that. Right? Remember, generations. So our hearts, do we desire people to be overthrown or do we desire people to be transformed? Do we only go halfway out of obligation because we don't want the fullness of God's love for them. And this is the amazing thing about this. And I've already said this. Jonah's heart is whack. Jonah's message is halfway whack, right? Doesn't do, there's a, a two thirds of the city that don't even hear from him directly. And yet, God's still gracious. God still brings people to salvation. God still does what he wants in spite of, not because of Jonah. I want us to be a people that God does things not in spite of us, but because we're with him. Like, okay, I'm going to bless the city of Fedaway in Northeast Tacoma. And I'd like to use this group of people, but they're not all in. So I'm still going to do what I'm going to do, but it's not as easy to flow through the body of Christ because we're cut off from the one who loves us so that we can love others. How can we be a full hearted, full message, full distance people? Full distance means it does not just go for a few times of our life. That we're in it for the long haul. This is a discipleship that takes us our whole lives. Every season of life. Learning to be faithful to what God has given me in the midst of that moment. That's the full breadth of the journey. But it's also the fullness of our message A message that is both there is a holy God that judges sinful people and that same God is a loving God who has taken on the punishment so you don't have to. It's a both and. 
It means that we are full-hearted, being formed into the image of Jesus. Regular disciplines, regular spiritual practices, using resources available to us to know the heart of God through the word of God, to interact with God's people, rubbing shoulders, learning, growing, being corrected in love and receiving that correction, regularly repenting, turning from the wrong ways of our lives and turning to a God who gives us the right ways of life. And sometimes it means saying no to some Christian things so we can be in the world with our friends who need Jesus. It sometimes means saying, you know what, that's a really cool, good thing. But actually, there's this whole group of people that don't know Jesus. I need to go the full way so that they can hear the full message. I don't know what that fully looks like in each one of our stories. But I want you to hear this clearly. That there is a God who created and formed and ordered the world for good. And we as a people have rebelled against that giver of life. That holy one and that, that causes separation and it causes death. And so we in nature are deserving of death. We without somebody to come and to rescue us, we are in a life of death, even if I'm following my own heart, because this virus of sin has impacted and infiltrated every single area of life. Personally and systemically, every area of life. And yet this God who knows his people only go halfway didn't stop halfway. He fully came. He did not consider um, equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He went the full extent. He took on flesh, Jesus, and dwelt among us. He lived perfectly as humans should, and he lived perfectly as uh, an example and as a picture of who God is in the flesh. And that same one died so that you don't have to. He took on the penalty of our death. He took on the, the wrath of a God who judges. And he calls us to turn from our sins and turn to this God who is gracious and merciful. And that is why we go to the table. We go to the table as a reminder of we were deserving to be overthrown. But God in his grace has transformed us. We were deserving to be judged. And Jesus took on the judgment so that now I can express love. I, who was far from God, now, according to Second Peter, am a participant in the divine nature of God itself. I can abide in him. I can be with him. And I can experience the character of the God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. I don't know if you are more drawn to only going halfway or giving a halfway sermon or having a halfway heart. If you don't want to do the fullness of discipleship, 
if you only want to give part of the message or you only want to see ill for people. I don't know. But this is what I do know. Going to the table, professing faith in Jesus and repenting of that is the way to life. Is the way to experience his grace.